nuclear films. No, not that lying rubbish by Oliver Stone and other minions of the World Economic Forum, but on-the-ground, passion-driven projects by determined individual filmmakers from around the world. Imagine, if you will, 16 films on nuclear issues as they impact local people, cultures, countries, continents. Imagine filmmakers gathering to discuss what they do and why they do it and what they hope to accomplish and what it all means. You might be tempted to think it's depressing. How could anyone stand to do that? But then you hear from one of those filmmakers and he tells you... We talk about very complicated things that really we're discussing Armageddon in the end of everything, right, all the time. But we do it with love. We do it on the beach. We do it drinking cachaça. We do it like in a way that makes us perhaps like remember why are we in this fight, right? We ask ourselves, why are we in this fight in the first place, right? So that's why I come and I guess the film in many ways should translate that particular feeling, you know, the particular craziness that this festival is and how beautiful, sensual and essential this discussion becomes when you do it from a, a different standpoint. Or you might say a different perspective. Well, when Brazilian-American filmmaker Miguel Silveira explains why he flies from his home in Chicago, Illinois, USA, to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, to participate in the International Uranium Film Festival, and you hear from others involved in this miraculous, exciting, potentially world-changing event, you begin to understand that maybe, just maybe, there might be a way out of that terrible, awful seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, a very special nuclear hot seat. I am reporting to you from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, on the 12th annual International Uranium Film Festival. During these 10 days, 16 films from the US, the UK, Spain, France, Poland, India, Ireland, Brazil, Korea, Scotland, and Sweden are being screened at the beautiful auditorium of the Museum of Modern Art in Rio. Every one of these films represents the vision, time, energy, money, and dedication of the filmmaker, someone who's become aware of an atomic problem, feels a passionate compulsion to make other people aware of it, be it in a documentary, drama, or even a comedy, and an unrelenting drive to get their film finished and ready for its audience. Why do they do it? Because they can't not do it. The work is too important, they've heard the call, and they feel compelled. Because if they don't do it, who will? And to be honest, I recognize their energy from what drives me to do my work on this show. 
But these filmmakers need an audience. Where can they find them? Netflix isn't looking for them. Hollywood could care less. And Oliver Stone is mooning us with his sick, slick ignorance. What's an isolated, well-meaning filmmaker with an honest film on nuclear issues to do? Where can they go? Answer? To the International Uranium Film Festival. This is the only place on Earth that focuses on issues of the entire nuclear fuel chain through film, from uranium mining to reactors to bombs to nowhere to store the highly radioactive waste that results for the necessary quarter of a million years. But these film stories are not just diatribes. They're told in human terms, with artistry, warmth, a quirky sense of humor when possible, irony, outrage, and unabashed emotional responses to the terrible nuclear atomic radiation truths that have been forced upon the innocent. During today's nuclear hot seat, you'll hear from one of the founders of the festival and two of the filmmakers who are here representing multiple countries, as well as a brief rundown on just a few of the films that have screened so far. Today is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023, and here is this week's Nuclear Hot Seat Special on the 12th Annual International Uranium Film Festival 2023 in and from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. It's all from a different perspective. The International Uranium Film Festival was founded in 2011 by Norbert Suchenek and Marcio Gomez de Alviera. It's based in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, but has traveled around the world, sharing atomic films in often remote locations that would most likely not be seen without this festival to present them and draw attention to their important, thought-provoking messages. We'll start with Norbert. Born in Germany, he is an investigative, environmental, human rights, and science journalist, a book author, photographer, and award-winning documentary filmmaker. Since 2006, he has worked as a foreign correspondent and filmmaker in Rio de Janeiro. I spoke with Norbert Suchenek on Monday, May 22, 2023. Norbert Suchenek, it is such an honor to be here in Rio with the International Uranium Film Festival, of which you are the head. Well, it's such an honor to have you here. We wanted to have you in Rio. We asked you for the last five years to come to Rio, and now you are here, and it is great. Tell us how you came up with the idea of doing the International Uranium Film Festival. What put it in your mind to move ahead on an idea like that? The short story is I was part of the Indigenous World Uranium Summit 2006, and there I saw movies that I have never seen before. The movie of from Jeff Spitz, Navajo Boy, and a movie from Sri Prakash about uranium mining in Jadagoda. Jadagoda, India. And I thought, why couldn't I seen these films before? So I had the idea to bring these films to the big screen, not only to be shown in closed circles of the anti-nuclear movement. I wanted to bring these films to the public, to the big television stations and to everybody in this beautiful world that we still have. And so how to do this? The best way is by a film festival. 
we are creating a film festival and we give the best filmmakers an award and now the newspapers will talk about them and now maybe the television stations will notice them. And so at the end we created our festival and it happens. Between getting the idea and the first one, however, how long did that take? It took us five years because to make a film festival, you need money. No money, no film festival. That was my first belief, my first thinking. So I asked around, I asked all those uh, international NGOs around the world, from Greenpeace to WWF, World Wildlife Fund for Nature, anybody, well, would you like to support an international uranium film festival, a festival about nuclear power and its risks. And unfortunately, I was not lucky. So nobody liked the idea and everybody said, well, it's crazy. So we couldn't get any cent for funding. So in 2010, when the Brazilian government announced to build the third nuclear power plant and more 40 nuclear power plants all over Brazil, Marcia and I we decided, I think we have to make the festival at our own without any support. So I created just a website overnight in July 2010. And four months later, we already have received 70 films from filmmakers around the world about nuclear power, about uranium mining, about the risk of and the consequences of the nuclear industry. And it's interesting that you got your idea and were working for all those years before Fukushima. And by the time you got the festival up, it was May of 2011, which was only two months after Fukushima. Exactly, two months after the Fukushima accident. In fact, one month before the Fukushima accident happened, suddenly we received support from the Heinrich Böll Foundation here in Rio de Janeiro. Just because I had a beautiful website, just because I had already 70 films, and we were asking around, hey, we have now everything ready for a festival. And they answered. And we really, we received support to pay our first international uranium film festival, thanks to the Heinrich Böll Foundation director at that time. You first emerged with the film festival, and I emerged with Nuclear Hot Seat within one month of each other in 2011. So we've been on this track, a lot of it with each other, for a lot of years now. In the time that you have been presenting the film festival, I know it has traveled around the world. How many festivals have been put together, and what are some of the highlights that you have from films in the past? I guess it's about... 70 film festivals around the world. Film festivals starting in Rio. Then we went to Germany, Berlin. The first festival in Berlin was already a beautiful highlight because it was in the famous quarter Kreuzberg. And we had two <laughs> really Kreuzberg cinemas, special cinemas. And after Berlin, we went to India 2013, It's now exactly 10 years we made an amazing tour across all of India. We started in New Delhi, then went to the region close to Himalaya, then to Calcutta 
and then to the southern part of India. Well, a tour 10 cities in six weeks. And in every city, we hold the festival at least in one or two or three locations. So only in India, I can say, we hold about 20 film festivals, each one independent of the other. Now we're here in Rio for this year's celebration. What stands out for you about the program and the filmmakers you've been dealing with for this year? For this year's festival in Rio, what would you consider to be one or more of the highlights? The most important highlight of this year's film festival is the presence of Libby Halevi, <laughs> nuclear hot seat. Of, no, there's no way out, okay? <laughs> And the second highlight is, of course, Miguel Silvera. He's showing his film, Devil's Work, about depleted uranium, that we have shown already several times. Because Devil's Work is a very well-done production about depleted uranium and its consequences, and it received our award already five or three years ago. Miguel Silvera is a special person, and he's here in Rio also because he's going to make a film about us. And that's like a dream comes true. And Miguel is here to make this film. From Chicago, where his old professor, Jeff Spitz, produced the film Navajo Boy, that influenced me to become the director of the International Uranium Film Festival. Everything is a cycle. It all comes full circle. What kind of support or interaction do you have with any anti-nuclear activists here in Brazil, if there are any groups? There is an anti-nuclear movement here in Brazil. We have a relationship with them. I hope that they distribute our festival, but they do not show up normally. The anti-nuclear movement, it was very strong in the 80s. And they could stop the construction of the third nuclear power plant. And now we are living in a time that this third nuclear power plant was prevented during the 80s. Now it's in construction. And there is no movement here in Brazil, unfortunately, that is doing a job to stop the construction of this third nuclear power plant that will be for sure a disaster. Not only a disaster because it could blow up in future, because it's, it's already rotten. This nuclear power plant was bought in the 70s from Germany. It's ancient. And it was stored during the last more than 20 years in an environment of the Atlantic rainforest. That means high temperature and high humidity. 99% humidity. And everything is made of steel and you store this for the last 25 years. And now this reactor bought in Germany in the 70s will function 100%. This sounds like a really good topic for a documentary. Of course, it's, it's a special documentary about stupidity and corruption. And, you know, to complete this reactor, Angra Tres. The construction of the third nuclear power plant really started in 2010-2011. And today, 2023, 60% is ready. And 40% still has to be constructed. And this 40% will cost us, taxpayer, about 25 
billion of reais. That's about 5 billion US dollars. And with 5 billion US dollars, you know, we have rotten schools, we have rotten roads, we have rotten hospitals. We do not need to spend five billion dollars into a rotten nuclear power plant. That's the policy around the world, that the money goes towards the nukes, whether they get built or not. They are money pits and it gets taken out of the pockets of everybody else. There are people listening to this who obviously are not in Rio this week. And I'm certain that they would like to be able to access as many of these films as possible. Is there a way that they can access them through your website? They can access the information about the films and the trailers. Our website is open and they can take the pictures from our website and everything. But our website doesn't show the whole films. But it does give the link to where people can find the whole film to either rent or purchase, correct? Yes, of course. We show the links with the trailers and the links with the producers and the directors so everybody can get into directly into contact with the filmmakers or the producers. If you have a dream of where the International Uranium Film Festival can go, where it would take you, what influence it might have, anything at all... What would that dream be? Well, there are many dreams. One dream is to return to Raleigh Studios in Hollywood. We made there our first film festival in Los Angeles 2016. And it was, for me, one of the biggest highlights of my life, not only of the festival. And there, of course, you were there, Libby, you know. I helped get you there as did actress and producer Kat Kramer. It was a great event, and I want to do it again. This is one dream. And the other dream is to return to New York, New York City. Our first film festival in New York City, it was in February 2014. It was a special winter time. It was two meters of snow. It was cold and snowy and we had the festival in the pavilion a very old cinema a famous old cinema in brooklyn and because of the heavy snow load the heat system broke down and we hold up the film festival for about 10 days there in the pavilion without heater by 20 degrees below zero and it was a great success. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> but because, also because, I must say this, because of the big actions, the support of the anti-nuclear movement in New York City. They supported us, they brought their people, and the cinema was crowded with nice, good people sitting with coats on and everything to be warm, watching our films about the nuclear world. You talk about the support that you got in New York from the various groups. Yeah. If there is someone in another city, another country, can't say another planet yet, we're working mm -hmm. on it, who would be interested in helping to bring the International Uranium Film Festival there, wherever there might be, how should they proceed? What can they do? Talk to us, send an email, and we 
we'll discuss if it is possible or not. For example, we would love to go to Australia. Australia is one of the top spots for the next Uranium Film Festival. And maybe Helen Caldicott would be part of it. It would be a pleasure to have her to present our festival in Australia. Talk about your special guest. In Australia, she would be more than a special guest. Much more. She would be the queen of the festival. She's the mother of us all. You mentioned people contacting you by email, and rather than confuse them with the spelling of your name, yes. if you go to the website, which is... UraniumFilmFestival.org UraniumFilmFestival.org And the email address is all over it. And send an email to Norbert and Marcia, if only to encourage them and cheer them on and give them major attaboys and attagirls. And if you are interested in booking the festival in your city, county, state, region, country, continent. It could be Portland. We already have someone who likes to support us in Portland. It's the director of the film Downwind. That was our opening film. A great film. Everybody has to watch this film. And I would like to, we would like to have Downwind in Portland with our film festival. And you're talking about Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. No, Portland in Oregon. We'll see what we can do to help support you there because you will always have Nuclear Hot Seat on your side. And I want to thank you, Norbert, for all that you have done for the planet, for filmmakers, for people who care with the International Uranium Film Festival, and long may you wave. That was the founder and director of the International Uranium Film Festival, Norbert Suchanek. We'll have our interview with the other founder and director, Marcia Gomez de Oliveira, on next week's show. One of the filmmakers who came to Rio for the festival is Julian Vogel, whose film Mission ICBM will be screened next Saturday, May 27. It's a Swedish-Korea-Scotland production, which almost makes it an international film festival production all by itself. In it, Nils and Julian go on a journey around the world to find out what a global nuclear war and the end of the world might look like and how they might try to prepare for such a scenario. Finally, after months of traveling to gather opinions and knowledge on the subject, they construct and live in a fallout shelter in Nils's parents' basement in Stockholm. From pretending the world has ended at a post-apocalyptic festival in Poland to encounters with hardcore survivalists in the United States to meeting with survivors of the Hiroshima atomic bomb attack in Japan, Nils and Julian hope their journey inspires others to join the debate on what we can do as a global community to prevent such disasters from happening. The film aims to be funny, turned serious, and is aimed at encouraging the younger generations to engage with those generations who lived through the Cold War, listen to their stories, then perhaps take action. I spoke with Julian Vogel on Sunday, May 21, 2023. Julian Vogel, it's so great to have you here at the International Uranium Film Festival and being my guest on Nuclear Hot Seat. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Where are you here from? I'm here from uh, Scotland. I live in Edinburgh, but I'm from uh, Sweden orig originally. 
So you're an international film festival all by yourself? Well, I'm here with my, uh, my lovely partner, Hyla, who is from Rio. And she's been a godsend helping us to get into the festival in the first place, translating it all to Portuguese. So we're here together. What is the title of your film and tell us what it is about? So the title of my film is uh, Intercontinental Bunker Mission, or ICBM for short. And it is an adventure doc comedy about the horrors of uh, a future nuclear war and how and if and you really want to survive it. Uh, so that's th those are the questions we ask in the film. Uh, we explore the prepping community. We end up building our own bunker in Sweden and we live in there for a time. And we, we talk to a, a number of people across the world from US to Japan and Poland to find out what it would actually take to survive and if it's really worth doing so. And you said that it's also a comedy? Yes, well, I mean, it's a personal reflection. So, so the film centers around my best friend from childhood and myself. We've always had this common fascination with the post-apocalyptic fiction. Uh, and so we decided that we would want to take it at, at face value and really examine the fantasy, to take the fantasy and make it into some kind of reality. Uh, so it, with that, it comes a bit of a, a comedic approach. We've written our own music in the film, dealing with what we're going through uh, in our journey. And so it's, it's angled towards a, a younger audience who, lived, uh, who grew up post-Cold War to get them engaged in the questions of nuclear disarmament. How did you first become involved in the issues of nuclear disarmament or this subject material, so much so that it drew you into making this film? So I think my first real contact with it was in high school when I worked on a, on a project examining propaganda and I stumbled upon Duck and Cover, the classic civil preparedness film from the US. And it was just so fascinating to me and how bizarre it was, how this message, direct, this horrifying message was kind of packeted and, and delivered to, to school children. So that's really kind of where that bug first caught. And then when I decided, or when I started making films, I quickly kind of gravitated towards that, that topic and I really wanted to, uh, to explore it. But I recognize there's so many fantastic films that have done it before. I, I was very inspired by... Uh, was called Atomic Cafe, the archival compilation film came out in the late 90s, I think, with no, no, no narration, just, just going through the history of, of, uh, of these nuclear films. And so I wanted to incorporate that, but also interpret it in a creative way with, with this film. And then that's how, kind of how the project came to be. Um, so, so that's kind of my angle. I'm still very, very new in it because this is my first film in the topic and my first feature film, period. Well, congratulations on getting it this far and getting it into the festival. How did you first become aware of the International Uranium Film Festival? So this is, I think, our fourth festival. And we've been um, kind of alone in our category of talking about nuclear films. And then there was... What, and what category was that? Foreign documentaries, mostly. We've been around and uh, kind of new voices in documentary. And... Uh, but there was a, a US-based festival called the Global Peace Film Festival that had screened the film. It was from the perspective of the cameraman that first went into Hiroshima after the bomb. Oh, uh, that was Greg Mitchell's film, Atomic Cover-Up. Yes, that's the one, that's the one. Uh, so I kind of just, uh, that was screened the year before we were there. And then I saw, they still had it on their website, and I saw where else it had gone. And I said, wow, this, this, this festival sounds right up our alley, theme-wise. So. 
then we realized it was quite late in the application, so we wrote a letter to, to Norbert and Marcia uh, in, in Portuguese, uh, just really expressing our interest to, to go, and, and here we are. So that's, uh, that's how we came upon, upon it. And you've been here in previous years as well? In Rio, yes. Since my partner is from Rio, we, we visited last year together, and I visited a couple times before because we have family friends from, from the area, and it's just a phenomenal place. It's no better place to, to, to host it, I think. What do you hope will happen to the film as a result of being here and showing in Rio? Wow, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, since, since it is our first film, we're all very, we're kind of just making it up as it goes. We, we have no real expectations, but now as soon as, as we came here and met you and we met all these fantastic people that are really engaged in the topic, we're hoping that we could continue spreading the film's message and, yeah, realizing the potential of, of something that's angled towards a younger audience. Because, I mean, that's really one of the issues that's a bit overshadowed these days by, by other also very important issues like climate change. But the nuclear threat has always been there since 1945 and it's, it hasn't diminished, it's only gotten worse. So we're really hoping that we can be a part of, of the conversation, I think. And do you have another nuclear film you'd like to make after this one? Is there something in the pipeline or at least tickling the back of your brain? My partner uh, in crime, who's in the film as well, who's presenting the film, he works with labor issues normally, and we have something, I think that's going to be our next project. So not at the moment, but I mean, this festival obviously is a huge source of inspiration. Talking with yourself got me really excited about the, the topic again, so I'm sure we'll be able to, to find something to do in the future. And what about any future plans for coming back to the International Uranium Film Festival? Well, yes, I think just being here among all these inspiring filmmakers and these amazing films that we we're going to see and we've seen, it definitely has some, some gears turning in, in my head. So hopefully inspiration will strike and we'll be able to, to come up with something else to, to bring back to, to the International Uranium Film Festival in the future. I really hope so. So do I. Julian Vogel, I want to thank you for having made the film, for having taken the effort to get here because I know for myself it's not an easy trip and you came from Scotland. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to seeing more of your work in the coming years as well as thanking you for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Well, thank you so much. It's been a, a pleasure to talk to, with you today and hopefully we can spend some more time this week and, and really get into these, these issues. I'm looking forward to it. Julian Vogel. His film is Mission ICBM. We'll return with this week's special report from the International Uranium Film Festival in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, in just a moment. But first, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the different ways you, the listeners, have made this trip possible. I'm here in Rio, immersed with the films, filmmakers, and the festival founders. I've engaged with some of the best, most rousing conversations I've ever experienced about pulling the world back from the brink of Armageddon using film, podcast, and digital media as our tools. It's exhilarating to not only not be alone, but be with people who share the same passionate worldview and dedicated to doing whatever we can within our areas of art, media, and expertise to make people aware of the nuclear dangers and move them into action. My original goals for this trip were to provide interviews and reports on the films, and especially networking, 
to help strengthen connections between Nuclear Hot Seat and concerned, committed activist filmmakers around the world. Well, that's done and dusted, and we still have half the festival to go. I hope I am successful in conveying to you just a portion of the excitement, amazement, power, and possibility that is represented by this incredible event. And to the best of my knowledge, I am the only journalist covering it. To those of you who donated so generously to make this trip possible, again, a big thank you. But for now, I need to remind you, the expenses of Nuclear Hot Seat continue every month. So if you wish to help the show go on, please help us out with a donation to our monthly operating costs. And now you have two ways to donate. At NuclearHotSeat.com, click on the red button and it will take you through to PayPal. Or if you have Zelle, you can now send money directly to the Nuclear Hot Seat nonprofit bank account through our email, info at NuclearHotSeat.com. Either way, the deduction is tax deductible, and with Zelle, it comes through to us without fees being deducted. Woohoo! So, donate now. Know that whatever you can do to help, I am honored to be bringing you all the news from the International Uranium Film Festival in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. If you're interested in learning more about any of these films and connect to where you can either rent or purchase them, go to uraniumfilmfestival.org and check out any of the films that are there. The IUFF does not sell or rent the films, but they're happy to let you know exactly where to go in order to be able to do it. And we encourage you to take a look because the content is astonishing. Now, back to our coverage of the International Uranium Film Festival. Miguel Silveira is a Brazilian-American independent filmmaker, arts educator, and assistant professor at the School of Communication of the Loyola University in Chicago. He is also a force of nature, his energy and passion undeniable and unavoidable. Born in Rio de Janeiro, Miguel is director of award-winning short films like Namibia, Brazil, Rooftop Wars, and the film to be screened at the International Uranium Film Festival, Devil's Work. Devil's Work tells the story of a 14-year-old boy named Eugene, who has to deal with an absolutely traumatic event, the death of his father, and decides to investigate the scientific causes related to it. The film becomes a psychological thriller about Eugene's search for the truth. The issue of depleted uranium, rarely portrayed in films, is central to the structure of the film. I spoke with Miguel Silveira on Monday, May 22nd, 2023. Miguel Silveira, congratulations on being part of this year's International Uranium Film Festival, and thanks for being here on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a big honor for me, Libby. Big honor for me. Thank you. Let's start out with a little bit of your background. How long have you been making films, and what got you started on nuclear topics for your films? I mean, been making films for a long time. Like, basically, I think I started at 20, so 23, 24 years. But the, at the level that I'm, I'm creating films now, I would say like about a decade. And I got interested in this subject matter before I was interested in making films about uh, nuclear energy and, and like the problems involved with this technology and bombs and, and the war 
issues that are related to that. So, you know, I got interested because I knew about, about the atomic bomb that was dropping in Hiroshima, right? Until I make a film was many years in between. But when I began to work and make films about subject matters such as the atomic bomb, uh, you, you discover so many more interesting and dangerous and complicated things that you want to make more films about those things as well. So I never really stopped ever since I made the first one in 2006. You are a professor at Loyola University in Chicago. How does that feed into or support the work that you're doing now in making your films? Loyola, it's, I'm very happy there. Um, you know, I got hired not too long ago and because of their their mission, right? Because it's a Jesuit school and then I believe they take that very seriously. I have gotten a lot of support to develop my work from them and, you know, in the community there as well. So it, it's easier for you having that particular kind of job that, you know, pays you a decent amount of money and gives you time to develop your work. And on top of it, you have a, a faculty body that is receptive and interested in the work that everybody's doing. So I got to say this first year uh, working there has been wonderful in so many ways, and it has helped a lot. Not necessarily uh, the fact that I'm here right now, but my mind, right? Uh, it, it allows my mind to plan for the next project in the next years down the line. So I'm very, very happy with, with, with that particular position. Yeah. What is the name of the film that is being shown this week here at the festival? Uh, in English, it's called Devil's Work. And in Portuguese, it's called Bala Perdida, which translates to Stray Bullet, which is, happens to be a problem we have here in, in Brazil, right? You, you know, so we, we translated to that particular title because of that. What is it about? Walk us through it. Yeah, it's, it's essentially a film uh, about a soldier, about his son, actually, a soldier who fought in Iraq, who finds out after a tragedy that perhaps uh, his father's accident, um, his father's death, has something to do with the utilization of depleted uranium ammunition during the war in Iraq, particularly in the city of Fallujah, where he served. So it's a fictional film that tries to investigate what happens inside of the minds and the hearts of the families of soldiers who served in Iraq when they find out the possibility that perhaps depleted uranium ammunition affected their their father in this, in this particular case, this, this main character's father's life, right? So I researched for many years, you know, about depleted uranium, and I found out that there is this big question about the ammunition that is made with byproduct of nuclear power plants uh, in the United States, you know, everywhere, but the United States, some of that trash, the garbage that is resulted from the nuclear power plants is sold or given for free uh, for ammunition making. It's, it's very dense, it's twice as dense as lead, as, as everybody knows, you depleted uranium, so it goes through armor, and the problem is when it, when it hits uh, a particular target, it incinerates, and those are, of course, alpha particles they are released into the environment. And there hasn't been a film, really, or documentaries, yes, but a particular study, and it hasn't been until this day, uh, and a particular study that really digs in and looks into if there's any relationship between that particular usage in Iraq, in Fallujah, in places like that, with birth defects that were found with our men and women in the military, as well as the civilian population in, in Fallujah. There hasn't been anything like that. So I, I was interested in that, and I made a film about that particular scientific inquiry. It could not be more timely 
given the issues surrounding depleted uranium weapons in Ukraine that are happening right now. What was the most shocking or impressive or eye-opening thing that you learned in the course of doing the research for this? Uh, it's interesting because the first thing you go through when you're doing this research is, is the notion that, okay, once you ask the question, is this really causing the birth defects? Is there a study that can point out to a yes or a no or a maybe, or like let's keep studying this to find out? And when you find out that it pretty much doesn't exist and the studies that exist are they're coming from you know, the military only, right? And they're not, we, we don't know precisely uh, what, what's happening. It's not published. You can't, you don't really have access to that. And folks who claim, scientists, I say folks, but I should say scientists who claim that perhaps the studies that have been conducted, they're not conclusive because they they were done not in the particular correct way that you have to, to do in order to find out the conclusive information about the, the possibility of that being, you know, the cause of birth defects, so on and so forth. Once you find out that this it's not available or doesn't exist. You realize that the issue is more complex than facts and evidence. The issue has a lot to do with belief that something like that is impossible, right? And I wouldn't say shocked, but I was, you opened a door in my mind that wasn't open before. I was like, okay, it's not enough, even if, if I managed to get the, the data, which was not, uh, you know, the objective of the film. But even if I do manage getting the data of, you know, about this somehow, that's not enough because there's a system of belief that will deny before evidence that this is a thing, right, uh, or could be a thing. And that was the thing that uh, it got me like, I wouldn't say confused or, you know, shocked, but it, it made me understand that the journey to address issues like that is way more complicated than facts and evidence and science. It relates to a system of belief, uh, particularly in the United States, that has to be revised. And how long does it take for something like that to, to take place? So the film deals with that. The film deals with, not with a, a, an assertion, right? It deals with the idea that a scientific question in the scientific process of investigation is something that we should consider as science, as evidence, that should, once discovered, right, surpass it should have a, you know the hierarchy of importance it should be more important than a system of beliefs when we're dealing with humans in the environment and things that affect us directly but i don't think that's ever going to be the case even if we you know find out that this indeed 100 percent affects it creates birth defects it goes through our, through our genetic composition through generations let's say that that's proven i still think that it won't really solve the problem because folks will still deny it because before the science, there's a system of belief that we are actually doing good. And if we did that, it was for the betterment of a very complicated situation. And yes, maybe we should pay the price. A million people died. Who knows how many people died? A lot of birth defects. It doesn't matter because if that hadn't happened, that's what, what shocked me the most in the process. I interviewed Dr. Helen Caldicott about that very issue and the lack of studies for last week's Nuclear Hot Seat number 621. And she spoke very eloquently to the fact that there are no studies because the people who have the money and the ability to come up with those studies don't want the results of them to be known. So I will leave that at that. But how has this been 
playing out this ambiguity as to is it dangerous? Is it the reason? Some people believe it. Some people will fight against that belief. How has that played out for audiences who have seen your film? I think this is the, it was the only way, the only door through which I could address it. Like if I assert it one way or another, I don't think it would have happened. I would be able to make that film in the first place. So we are financed by the Sloan Foundation, and it was my thesis at Columbia University when I was a student there in my, doing my master's degree. So the film did pretty well, and one of the reasons why it did well was because my focus, and that's the film's theme, is not the claim that he 100% does this or doesn't do this. The claim of the film is that there's a need for a particular scientific study to either be revised or be conducted from the beginning about that issue. And once the question of the film is that, I was able to create a narrative that allowed people to, to think about it without shutting down immediately, right? So it was a benefit. It was, it was a conversation starter. So the film played, you know, everywhere, like even in the GI Film Festival in Washington, you know. And audiences are mostly moved by the story. They, they recognize that there's a humanity there that relates to, a, to an issue that is not talked about, but nobody's turned down by a particular political position, which, of course, I have as a person, but the film is not doing that, percent. And I was even asked, like, in the Los Angeles Film Festival, when it was still existed, we played there, and one honest member asked me if I was pro or against war, right, after watching the movie. I was like, it's not really about that. Is not really about that at all, right? It's, let's say, a person who's pro-war, a person who is against war in general, a pacifist, sees that film and gets acquainted with that particular potential issue, right? The subject matter of depleted uranium and the way we use in, you know, in our ammunition. The point here is not to be pro and against necessarily, is to just pose a question. Okay, there's this thing. Do you know for sure if this is causing birth defects or other kinds of problems? So whether or not you're pro or against war, that is a question that you, you should be able to embrace without, a, without thinking about it, right? So and because of that, I believe the audiences were very receptive. The film did pretty, pretty well. You're also working on a project right now mm -hmm. about the International Uranium Film Festival, where you are following all of us around with a full-blown camera crew and filling in with cell phone footage, but it's quite extensive what you have been doing. What is your intention behind shooting this and what do you hope will happen to it? I mean, it's, it's like coming to the festival. I think when I come here, I meet people like you, you know, and we begin to have incredible conversations about how, essentially, I think this festival discusses more so than the science, more so than the issue. It's like how to remain on Earth right, as a species, for a little longer. And there's many ways to discuss that, many different opinions, many different ideas, but essentially it's people that are interested in, in, in survival, right, and in happiness, not just for a particular individual, but for the human race and all other species, right? So this film, whatever that becomes when it's finally done, right, whenever that happens, it's an experience that tries to translate and emulate what I feel when I come here. You know, I'm Brazilian, I don't live here anymore, so I come here, I'm filled with joy. We talk about very complicated things that really, we're discussing Armageddon in the end of everything, right, all the time. But we do it with love, we do it on the beach, we do it drinking cachaça, we do it like, in a way that makes us perhaps like remember why are we in this fight, right? We ask ourselves, why are we in this fight in the first place, right? So that's why I come and I guess the film 
in many ways should translate that particular feeling, you know, the particular craziness that this festival is and how beautiful, sensual and essential this discussion becomes when you do it from a, a different standpoint, as opposed to like you sit down and board members or scientists, which of course I have all the adoration for, right? It's necessary, but it shuts so many people down. And I think a film like that reminds us that we're doing this, we're discussing these things because we want to be alive, we want, we want to be happy, we want to be able to experience the world as a clean place, right? Where kids can live, old folks can live, we can all live, where perhaps war such as the war in Ukraine stops, right? Or something like that. So I think the film uh, is going to try to do that. I know you have certainly captured moments of intense joy that I have experienced and others as well. And to have that be the counterbalance to the bleakness that is represented by some of the films, I think, is crucial. It's essential. And it's going to be great to watch. I haven't had this much footage shot of me, I think, ever in my life. Anything you want to say to the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat in closing? Yes, for sure. Keep listening. That's number one, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. But but there's more. Like, uh, why are you listening to this? Like, uh, it, try everybody. If if you know, my two cents here. I think the reason why we you're listening to this is because you're curious. You you're probably thinking, oh my god, this is very serious. Nobody's talking about it. And if they do, immediately folks are accused of being you know conspiracy theorists, yada, yada, yada. But it's difficult, right? It's difficult to be able to promote the discussion. And that's exactly what you should do. Like, if find ways, listeners, find ways to promote that particular discussion. They're not the way you got in contact with that issue or that discussion in the first place. Invent something else. Invent a different way to, to connect with as many human beings as you can that perhaps they will embrace before they get too traumatized and shocked and shut it down, right? So perhaps that's, that's, that's my ending here. I don't know what else to say, but thank you so much, Libby. And thank you for being my guest today on Nuclear Hot Seat and for your films and for the one that's coming up. I can't wait to see that one. Miguel Silveira. His film is Devil's Work, and it will be screened this Friday, May 26th. By the way, I haven't told you that all of the screenings at the International Uranium Film Festival are free. They do have sponsors and are in need of corporate underwriting for some of their larger goals. So if you have any thoughts how that might be accomplished, please let them know. Their email is all over the website, uraniumfilmfestival.org. There isn't time to tell you about all of the films that have screened thus far, but here are just a few to give you a flavor of what the festival is all about. It kicked off on Thursday, May 18, with the film Downwind by directors Douglas Brian Miller and Mark Shapiro. Downwind tells the compelling story of how radioactive fallout produced by 928 large-scale U.S. atomic bomb tests in Nevada that were conducted between 1951 and 1992 has left a legacy of death, disease, and damaged DNA in those people who were downwind of the blasts. The 100 bombs detonated above ground, released radioactive fallout that claimed immediate and long-term victims, including, it can be argued, actor and American icon John Wayne. He was shooting a movie near St. George, Utah, when fallout from a test labeled Dirty Harry dusted the site. 
In the years that followed, more than half the cast and crew died of cancer. The documentary features Ian Zabarte, principal man of the Western bands of the Shoshone Nation of Indians, and playwright and journalist Mary Dixon. Both of these individuals are well-known interviewees on Nuclear Hot Seat. Also featured in the film are downwinder activist Claudia Peterson, comedian Louis Black, actors Michael Douglas, and Martin Sheen. If you want to know more about how the film was put together, one of the directors, Mark Shapiro, was interviewed for Nuclear Hot Seat number 604 from January 18, 2023. I will have a link up to those interviews as well as ones with Ian Zabarte and Mary Dixon on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode number 622. So to Say is an eye-opening, astonishing documentary about the Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp. Never heard of it? Neither had I. But this is part of our shared history. The film, in which so to say is spelled S-E-W to say, tells the untold story of an artist and banner maker who, in the early 80s, joined a women's-only peace camp to stand against nuclear weapons through nonviolent action. Forty-two years ago, in the summer of 1981, a group of 36 women left their homes and marched from Cardiff, the capital of Wales, to Greenham Common near London to protest against the American cruise missiles that were going to be deployed in the UK as part of the Cold War response. In fear of nuclear war, the groups decided to stay and started a peace camp to protest against the storage of nuclear weapons at the base. It soon transformed into a rare woman-only public space an area for women's voices to be used and heard. It attracted hundreds of thousands of women over its 19 years of existence, the longest feminist protest in British history, and a powerful example of how collective action changed the lives of thousands of women, inspiring several generations. As film director Rachel Aguirre states in the program, we understand that the women of Greenham felt liberated, they were visible, transformational, and loud. What's astonishing is why had the protest of more than 150,000 women over two decades been ignored? A very good question. I looked at the faces and actions of those women, who looked a lot like me from that exact same era, and I wonder, where the hell was I when all of this was going on? Well, I wasn't there then, but I am here now. The same can go for you. I encourage you to take a look at this film, So to Say, and remember it's S-E-W, To Say. One of the most powerful and impactful films that I've seen thus far is Chernobyl, The Lost Tapes, a documentary by James Jones. 36 years after the Chernobyl nuclear reactor exploded in Soviet Ukraine, Newly uncovered archival footage and recorded interviews with those who were present paint an emotional and gripping portrait of the extent and gravity of the disaster, as well as the lengths to which the Soviet government went to cover up the incident, including harmful impacts on the soldiers sent 
to liquidate the damage. In terms of power and immediacy, I rank this film alongside Greg Mitchell's award-winning Atomic Cover-Up, which employs long-suppressed archival footage of the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Chernobyl, The Lost Tapes, puts you on the roof of the ragingly hot Chernobyl wreckage when staying more than 30 seconds meant risking your life from radiation exposure. One wonders what happened to the camera crew who actually shot the footage. As for James Jones, he is an award-winning British director who makes documentary films for international television and theatrical release. His films have won two Emmys, three DuPonts, and a slew of other awards and have been shown on the BBC, Channel 4, Sky, PBS, Netflix, and HBO. Even if you think you know about Chernobyl, this will show you what you never even could imagine. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023, which also happens to be the birthday of International Uranium Film Festival founder and director Norbert Suchenek. So happy birthday and deep gratitude to you from all of us. Our thanks this week to Norbert and Marsha, all the filmmakers, with a special nod to our filmmaker interviewees, Miguel Silviera and Julian Vogel. Again, my gratitude to all those whose generosity made it possible for me to be here in Rio. And remember, we still have half a festival to go, including the screening of Heidi Huttner's already award-winning film, Radioactive, The Women of Three Mile Island. We also have the award ceremony and a really big party. So this is just the first of two nuclear hot seats reporting from Rio. I ask that you share this link, forward it to your email list and social media contacts, let the world know about the IUFF, and maybe, just maybe, next year it will be showing up in a country or a city near you. You can check out all the information at uraniumfilmfestival.com. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2023, Libby Halevi, and Nuclear Hot Seat. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. Mention the name of the program and the website, and we're set. For now, this is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications and Nuclear Hot Seat reminding you, if a single film can change a single mind, the result is a world that is changed. There you have it. You've just had your weekly nuclear wake-up call. So whatever you do, do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.